This is Bloomberg Business Week. I'm Carol Masser. Every day we're bringing you the latest news from the worlds of business and finance, plus technology, politics, so much going on in the world of politics, economics, and it's all harnessing the power of Business Week reporters and editors. You can download Bloomberg Business Week on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Bloomberg.com. You can also listen to our radio show at 2 p.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio. And be sure to watch us, too, on YouTube by searching Bloomberg Global News. So let's get right to Michael Dowling. He's president and CEO at Northwell Health. They are uh, one of the, or it is the largest healthcare provider, I should say, and private employer in New York State. They have treated over 100,000 COVID-19 patients since the start of the pandemic. Michael is also the author of the book, Leading Through a Pandemic, The Inside Story of Humanity, Innovation, and Lessons Learned During the COVID-19, or during COVID-19. He joins us on the phone from New Hyde Park, New York. Michael, thank you so much for your patience today. There's a lot going on. Um, yeah, absolutely. Thank you so, so much. I'm delighted to be on. Thank you. It's so good to have you back with Tim and myself. So tell me a little bit about, there's a lot going on today. We just heard from the president. We're listening to President-elect Biden also saying that it may take longer than we like to get out the vaccine as he uh, lines up his health uh, team and his new administration there. Um, what is most important? I'm assuming the Pfizer well, news. Well, I think what's, uh, what's important and we, and we should uh, be celebrating, and that is that we finally have a vaccine that we can actually start to distribute. But I think everybody should be well aware that this is going to be many, many months before we're able to vaccinate the bulk of the population. And, and then we obviously have to deal with the issue that many, many people in the public are very hesitant about taking a vaccine. So while, while it's a great news that we have it, and it's a great news that it's beginning, uh, which we should celebrate, as I said, but this is a long haul. This is not a quick fix answer at the moment, and it should in no way uh, give the opportunity for people to say that they don't need to be mask wearing and social distancing and doing all of the prevention issues. Uh, that um, we have been talking about for a long time. Right. Uh, so it's it's a it's a great it's a, it's great news, uh, but it, you know the implementation of this is not easy. It's going to be complicated. We will deal with it. We will succeed on it and with it. But um, it's it's going to be months and months and months. Well, Michael, to to that end, I mean, you have seventy four thousand employees at, right. at Northwell Health. Uh, when right. are they getting the vaccine? Well, the first um, batch of vaccines we are supposed to get at the beginning of next week. Uh, the, the number of doses that we're going to get, I think uh, we don't know exactly yet, but they're relatively small numbers compared to the numbers of people we have got. Obviously, we prioritize. We prioritize using um, the first people to get the vaccine will be intensive care workers and emergency department workers. Uh, the latest news that I heard is that I'll get somewhere between seven and 8,000 doses of the vaccine. Mm. Uh, that's good news, but it's a small number, and it will come out incrementally over the next uh, month to two months, etc. So uh, to, to do all uh, employees, it's going, probably going to take the next month or so. That's assuming we get the doses that, uh, on the incremental basis that we assume we will. So we probably will be starting at the beginning of next week. Tuesday, Wednesday is my guess. And do you anticipate that you will, I'm assuming, do the two doses that's necessary? I mean, that's the, that's what you guys are going to assume that you will have enough to do? Yes. Um, they apparently will give you the, the, the doses for the, first, uh, for the first round, and then they come back and they give you the number for the second round. So you have to get the two doses. Uh, because if because the vaccine begins to really take effect right. 
after you get the second dose, which is about three weeks after you get the first one. And uh, the management of that and the data systems you need on that are pretty complicated. Um, but yes, we will be doing both. Obviously, you have to. Um, and um, and then you know we got you know the nursing homes are going to get done and the high the, uh, the staff and that I just mentioned will get done and then right. you go to the next tiers of staff over the next month or two. Are you at all nervous that you won't get everything you need? And I just think about all the promises for PPE, you know, during the height of the virus in the springtime here, and there it just the supply chain was terrible. Are you nervous at all, though, Mike, that there's going to be some problems, some hiccups along the way? Oh, there will be hiccups along the way. There will be confusion along the way. That's the reality of all of these things. We are very well prepared here in Northwell. We have unbelievably detailed plans. We know exactly what we need to do. But uh, it would be foolish to think that this is going to go so smoothly mm. that nothing will, will, will happen that will create a hiccup. I mean, it will happen. We just have to respond to it. As I told staff this morning when I met with them, is that we have to manage the confusion intelligently. Uh, that's what we have to do. But that's what operations does all the time anyway. No, no, nothing that has to be operationalized always goes smoothly. That's the fact of life. It is what it is, and we will just have to deal with it. Uh, we have all the processes in place. If we get enough doses uh, to do everybody and, and on the, in the sequence that they suggest, then we will be fine. Um, and if we have to change along the way, we change along the way. That's the nature of the operations. Well, Michael, I want to get an update about COVID capacity and, and hospital sure. capacity sure. In, in your health system right now. Um, right. You treated nearly 20% of all of New York State, yes. over 100,000 COVID-19 patients. What are the hospitals like right now? Right now, uh, we have today about uh, 760 uh, cases in our hospital. Um, and that has gone up from about uh, 80 patients. Uh, this is on a daily basis, about three weeks ago. So the increase has been large. But we've got to put it in context. Back in April, at the height, when we were at the epicenter, at the height of the issue, we had 3,500 wow. patients in our hospitals. So while 700 looks like it's a huge number, it is very small relative to what we had before. So we are prepared if the number keeps going up, which I assume it will, uh, given the holiday season, and I do believe that probably the worst period of time will be right after Christmas, mm-hmm. uh, the first couple of weeks in January. Uh, but we are ready. We have the capacity. We have the supplies. The staff morale is good. Uh, we have the staff. Um, you know, if we need more ICU capacity, we've got it. So we're pretty well prepared. And uh, I've been working with all of the other health systems in New York, especially in downstate here in New York. And mm. uh, we talk on a continuous basis. And I think we're all, we're, we're, we are ready. We handled it before. We will handle it again. I don't think we will get back to anything close to what we had back in April. Um, that's our hope, of course. But if it does happen, um, we will be able to take care of it. We're better positioned today than we were uh, six months ago. We have better treatment methodologies. Uh, you know, uh, not as many people are going into ICUs today, not as many people are being intubated today. The treatments are better and the processes are better. But we are, with regard to capacity supplies, we are in a good position. So wait, I just want to make sure I heard the numbers right. So you said 760 cases, COVID cases in your hospital today from eight yeah. from 80 a few weeks ago? A few, about three weeks ago we had, uh, let's say three to four weeks ago, we had about 80 on a daily basis. Okay, so exponentially. And then it creep up, you know, it got to 150, 200. And in the last week it has jumped. 
you know, uh, you know, post Thanksgiving. Yeah. And then we have obviously the the, the election process. Um, you know, during the election, there was a lot of people out and about. And then we have pockets in the community that decide, for whatever stupid reason, do not want to wear masks and do not want to social distance and are not complying with public health safety standards. And in those communities, you do have a higher incidence of, um, of infections. And it's, you know, it's, it's distressing that you still have people out there that seem to deny the, 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 the logic uh, that they should be wearing a mask. Uh, so... Um, uh, where, where there are those pockets of non-compliance is where you see the highest incidence of infection and the highest incidence of hospitalization. Given that we've seen so much resistance to wearing masks, it's becoming this political issue. What does that tell you right. about communicating the safety and efficacy of the vaccine to a large number of Americans who might be skeptical of it? Yes, and there is a lot of skepticism out there, especially among the minority community. So we will be launching, and I know the state will be doing the same thing. We will, all, we will be launching a very, a very strong communication um, policy and procedures, uh, educating the public that you know this is safe. Um, uh, uh, and but you are going to still have quite a number of people who will be very, very skeptical. This is not just the United States; this is worldwide. So we're going to do the best we possibly can to explain to people that this is an effective treatment, uh, this is important to do, we have to get vaccinated. And if you care about the community and you care about your neighbors and your friends and your family members, you wear a mask and you also get vaccinated. It's not one or the other, by the way. Because by the time we get everybody done and by the time you get to the general public, you're probably at the end of the spring, if not into the beginning of the summer, before you get to the real general public, the non-risk people. Um, Mike, Mike, I want to ask you something, because I do wonder, right, we're all anticipating as more travel happens over um, the holidays here in December and what it looks like in in January. You know, there's certainly actions to kind of roll back what's going on in restaurants, inside restaurants and stuff. Are those the things that you agree that we need to shut down that maybe could help slow some of the numbers? Or how do you feel about that? What What are the events that really make you the most nervous here? Well, I thought, well, let me be the first part of it. Your question first, please. Um, you know, it's not, it's, it, I don't think you've got anybody that is very happy about having to shut down anything because right. you need to get the economy back. When you shut down, you affect people's livelihoods, their mm-hmm. income, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But where you do have micro clusters and where you see infection accelerating and you see locations where hospitalizations really spike, then I think you have no option but to seriously consider some temporary shutdowns. Uh, because in many ways, what the community is basically saying to you in those areas, we're not about to comply. We don't want to comply. We're not fully complying. And therefore, there's a penalty associated with that. Now, unfortunately, there's, there's many of the businesses who might be very compliant themselves, but members of the community are not, are negatively affected by that decision. So I, I think that has to be an option that is always kept open. The governor spoke about this yesterday, mm-hmm. I believe. Uh, so, yes, um, we, we have to do the tough things and the things that people don't like so that we can get over this, uh, beat this disease, and then get back to normal business. If we don't take these drastic actions at a micro level, you're going to be in this, in this situation for a, long period of, for a long period of time. The quickest way to get over COVID is compliance. 
right? Yeah. Which is why we talk about him. stimulus needed, right? Yeah, Tim, yeah. and I'm thinking about Tim and I have had tons of conversations about that. We've just got to do this already. We've got to do this. And, and to your point about masks, Mike, I mean, we did just hear the president-elect, Vice President Biden, or President-elect Biden now calling on all Americans to wear masks in public for the first 100 mm-hmm. days as he's yeah. vowed to get 100 million doses of a yeah. vaccine to Americans in his first 100 days. Well, you know, you have an interesting comparison. Go ahead. Today, you have the current president not wearing a mask and holding meetings where people don't wear masks. And you have the incoming president talking about you have to wear masks. And, of course, the incoming president is right on this. And imagine if you had taken that position nationally a year ago, nine months ago, where you had no national leader stand up and say, I believe the science. We should all wear masks. Let's take the, take the, 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 the tough medicine now. Imagine we probably would be in a much better position, but you've had a colossal failure of leadership on this uh, at, at our national leadership level. And, uh, but today you've got an interesting comparison of what's right and what's wrong. And, um, you know, I get frustrated with this, which I think yeah. a lot of people are. I'm in the middle of it. I mean, I don't want to walk into a hospital and see people dying anymore. I don't want to see people in ICUs and people in, being intubated because of the fact that people just didn't comply with basic common sense, humanistic, public policy prevention methods. So, um, so it's, it's annoying. No, I hear you. Um, Mike, so let's think about when we get on the other side of this, because I'm concerned yeah. about, I'm sure you're watching your team, their wellness, their yeah. mental wellness, yeah. uh, and also kind of your financial wellness as a healthcare organization. I think right. there's about a billion dollar shortfall, right? Or concerns that a hit that you've taken yeah. because of the virus. So where are we on that? And just got roughly about 45, 50 seconds here. Oh, okay. On the economic side of it, we did, uh, we talk about a billion and a half uh, revenue loss, but we did get money from the government through the CARES Act. So... Uh, uh, we we end up the year with a loss, of course, but it's not that bad. And uh, we have a budget done for next year. And assuming that isn't a humongous disaster, we will be pretty strong next year. Uh, it is what it is. You deal with it. Uh, I've told everybody here, when you're dealing with a crisis that affects the public, you don't worry about the budget. You deal with the budget afterwards. You do what's right for the community, and you move on. And uh, in many ways, you know, you just, uh, you know, suck it up and deal with it. I mean, they have no choice in the matter. We've got to do the right thing. And if you do the right thing, at the end of the day, you always win. All right. Mike, we wish you well. Stay safe. Uh, and I'm sure we'll talk with you again. But we wish you and your teams well all through all of this, which we know is going to be a pretty tough month. Mike Dowling, President and Chief Executive Officer at Northwell Help, on the phone from New Hyde Park, New York. I feel like he's sending a message to Washington. <laughs> yeah, uh, with the masks. Yeah, yeah, and just we need some help here too. This is Bloomberg Business Week with Carol Masser from Bloomberg Radio. So this story, Tim, is among our most read on the Bloomberg. It's about how, yes, the app that has been one of the big stories in our markets universe this year, I'm talking about Robinhood, it's actually losing thousands of traders to a rival. A rival, Weeble. Weeble, out of China. Right. And I know you guys talked about this earlier on Quick Take. Yeah, I'm excited to talk to Annie again, though, because this is just a really interesting story. And I think the most interesting element is this is a Chinese company. Exactly. So let's get into it. Annie Massa is with us, Bloomberg News investing reporter. She is with us on the phone in New York City, along with Bloomberg Business Week editor Jill Weber on the access line in Brooklyn. Annie reporting for Bloomberg Business Week. Jill, it's just a reminder, like, you know, Robin Hood, a big deal, but there's somebody nipping at its heels. Yeah. And, you know, it's one of these um, um, sort of stories that I, I kind of love where, you know, we, Robin Hood has been, uh, you know, basically just a, a phenomenon during the pandemic. 
and along comes uh you know like an upstart that's kind of got its own uh its own kind of way of doing things that's been you know different than robin hood which also had its own way of doing things so it's almost like they're getting schooled a little <laughs> bit in their own game and as any is about to i think tell us they've done it by actually going the opposite way of robin hood where robin hood made everything very streamlined and almost uh, uh, stripped down and bare bones, they've actually flooded it with more information rather than less. Annie, why why does that seem to be working so far? Yeah, that's exactly right. You have this kind of difference between on on one end of the spectrum, you have Robin Hood, which is just for a complete entry level trader, very simple, very clean graphics, and you know if you think the way other end of the spectrum might be like an interactive brokers with more sophisticated analysis and real-time data we both sit a little bit in between those two and it's trying to reach out to the same kinds of users that Robinhood is after the younger kinds of demographic the more social oriented types of traders but it's doing it in a way where the format is slightly more sophisticated, slightly more information than you're getting when you log into a Robinhood account. Yeah, Annie, I, I'm curious too about this this idea of this being a Chinese company. And this is something we talked about on, on Quick Take earlier today. Because think about TikTok and the problems that TikTok has had with the U.S. government. I mean, financial services are regulated so much more. It's like, how's this going to work? Yeah, than a social media company. So so how are they going to pull this off with CFIUS? You're exactly right. And I think TikTok is a very high profile example, but we've really seen how the tensions between the U.S. and China and the trade war and just this rising geopolitical tension between the two countries has been affecting the business world and really creeping into finance as well. So we mentioned in the story how we've already seen you know, the Trump administration kind of thinking about possibly placing restrictions on Chinese payment platforms or threatening to kick companies from China off of U.S. exchanges. So for now, Webull has not been caught up in that fray, but it certainly could be an issue for a company like this down the line. So, Annie, what, what more do we know about uh, uh, Webull in terms of, like, how many, how many users are on the platform? What kind of growth are we seeing here? We're, we mentioned that, you know, it's, it's peeling traders away from Robinhood, but, like, how big of an opportunity does, does Webull think it sees here? That's right. So Webull is still smaller than Robinhood, but they've been growing fast. They've grown their uh, client base by about tenfold this year, so they have about 2 million customers now. Now, that compares to Robinhood that has more than 13 million customers, and they've been going completely gangbusters in terms of new signups this year. But still, for a newer company without as much name brand recognition, broadly speaking, as Robinhood, that is a significant user base. And and talk to more about uh, talk to us more about the stealth mode because I thought that was a really curious thing. Like they, they've really just cloaked their operation. They they do have an office in uh, downtown New York in, in uh, right off Wall Street. But but why run uh, so quietly? A lot of people who That's are listening right. to this might be hearing about it for the first time. That's right. So they haven't done any big kind of ad campaign or or advertised really aggressively. And we were talking to the US CEO who said, we're trying to stay under the radar a little bit for now and grow without making a huge splash. It's, a, it's still a very competitive space and Webull has been 
fortunate enough to pick up some of the customers that have been frustrated by Robinhood who seek out other options and then they kind of come across Webull and say, hey, I might like to try and open a brokerage account there um, instead of at Robinhood, either because they're frustrated with the service at Robinhood or because they want to like level up their account a little bit. So I just think just because they have a customer service line, they're going to be like, you know, way ahead of Robinhood. <laughs> um, Annie, so tell us about, I mean, is money coming in, investor money? What's their plan here? That's right. So they're on the brink of raising another fundraising round. Um, they expect to raise about $100 million for a valuation of possibly over a billion dollars. So that would put them in unicorn status territory. Uh, so mm. they are trying to attract investors at this moment. Carol alluded to this with the, the reference to to the actual uh, helpline that they, <laughs> they have. Um, but I'm wondering how, how Robinhood's missteps this year sort of create an opportunity for not just companies like Webull, but other other disruptors right. to, to come in and, and get those frustrated customers. Yeah, you know, Robinhood has really had this wild year where they've grown so much in the public imagination, but they've also had some really high-profile lapses. So they had an outage that lasted more than a day in March. They've had an issue with hacking of some accounts that we reported on earlier this fall. And each time you've seen users go online, vent their frustration, and some of them have even threatened to leave and seek out other kinds of brokerages. So we've also the beneficiary in the sense that they can pick up some of those customers with a very you know, an app that's similar, it's very mobile forward and targeted to maybe a younger, more social user base. And if and when those customers are seeking out some other kind of service, they can use Webull. Good stuff. I love these kind of stories. Uh, Annie, thank you so much. Annie Massa, investing reporter at Bloomberg News, with us on the phone from New York. Jill Weber, editor of Bloomberg Business Week on the remote access. And uh, you can certainly find more on that story. Just go to uh, the Bloomberg Terminal or Bloomberg.com. You're listening to Bloomberg Business Week with Carol Masser on Bloomberg Radio. You are listening to Bloomberg Radio, Bloomberg Business Week on this Tuesday. Carol Masser along with Tim Stenovic of Bloomberg Quick Take, which you can catch at 9 and noon streaming. Oh, yeah, and throughout the day. And throughout the We're day. We're just live at 9, noon, 435. I've been promoting you, but there's other people, too. <laughs> yeah, there, there are. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, you can watch us on all the platforms, Apple TV, Roku, and the like. Good, good, good to know, right? All that um, streaming that's going on, a lot yeah. of stuff. Um, and I know you guys spent a lot of time on what I think, hands down, is our top story of the day, and that was the news from Pfizer. Right, the news from Pfizer, and then also what's happening in the UK, too, mm-hmm. which is... Rolling people, out the vaccine. As they say, people are getting jabbed, right? Getting jabbed. <laughs> getting the vaccine, they are doing it. So listen, one of our go-to voices, she makes us all smarter, is uh, Bloomberg News Health Science and Medical Technology reporter Michelle Cortez. She is back with us from Minneapolis. Michelle, I was listening to you this morning on Bloomberg Radio. You were reading through the FDA report. I think it was, is it 96, 97 pages or something like that? It is. Yes, it is. <laughs> but who's counting? But that's why I want to talk to you, because you go through it. So tell us the significance of the news that we got on the Pfizer vaccine today from the FDA. So what we are seeing here is really the detailed information from the Pfizer and BioNTech trials. This is the information that everybody has been waiting for, because up until this point, all we've really received is a press release that says about 95% effective. And while that's great, it doesn't really provide as much information as people want. So what we're doing now is we're getting some incremental data on how different groups are doing. 
if you're older, if you're male or female, if you are a minority, if you are high risk, if you have other comorbidities, how is this vaccine going to work out for you? Uh, newsflash, it looks like it's about the same for everybody. Everybody is above 90% in every category that they looked at. Is Michelle, is this, at is this, things like, sorry, go oh, ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, is this is this rare for for a vaccine to to have this kind of effect efficacy and then have this effect on on multiple types of of people based on age, comorbidities, et cetera? Well, you know, it really depends on what you're looking at, because vaccines don't normally fall into this kind of a category. Right. We normally have vaccines for children for, you know, measles and Mm. chicken pox and whooping cough and that sort of thing. And of course, those vaccines are very effective, but they are in children and you're not trying to vaccinate, you know, huge numbers of people. So, but in that, in that category, yes, usually across different ethnicities and races, that sort of thing, we do have pretty similar effectiveness levels. If you're looking at the broader population, if you're looking at an influenza vaccine, for example, then no, I mean, it's phenomenally more effective than what Mm. we see for most respiratory illnesses. And I don't think anybody was really expecting that we would get vaccine results that were more like the, you know, childhood vaccines rather than other respiratory vaccines. So, yeah. So help us understand the magnitude of of the data that you got today and and, and where it falls into sort of this, this, you know, 11 month, uh, I don't want to say adventure, but nightmare that we've Mm -hmm. been on. Right. It has been a nightmare, hasn't it? Um, But, you know, the thing that's not been a nightmare has been the science. It is absolutely remarkable that they have been able to do that, to do this heavy lift. I mean, you have to remember these vaccines that we're talking about this week, the mRNA vaccines from Pfizer and from Moderna, there are no other vaccines that work this way. This is the very first. And not only that, they've been developing these mRNA vaccines for years now for other conditions. But for this condition, they did it in less than a year, well less than a year. It's just absolutely phenomenal. And as far as what it means we talked about the efficacy. It's looking really strong across the board that we now have some detail on safety. Of course, we only have it out to about two or three months, so we don't know definitively how safe it's going to be, but there really aren't any signs of concerning results here. Pam, wait, I want to go there. Stop for a second, because I'm thinking, Michelle, people are listening and Michelle's like, yeah, look at how fast they got it done. It's pretty remarkable. This is new you know, technology they've been working on, but these are the first of a kind vaccine. So there are going to be those people who are listening to that and saying, well, wait a minute. It's the first of these kinds of vaccine. Great for science, but that makes me a little bit nervous. What you understand this world, Michelle, like no other. So what can you tell people who are saying, well, wait, this is new science. They did it faster. We don't really have the long-term, meaning duration, you know, over multiple years of the long-term potential impact. So what do you tell those people? Well, yeah, Carol, you're absolutely right. It's a, it's a real issue on two different fronts, both on the safety and the efficacy. When you talk about efficacy, these results look really dramatic at first, but we've only been given these vaccines for you know, a few months now. So we have no idea how long this protection is going to last and whether or not we're going to be needing repeat vaccines and whether it will be helpful, you know, as you get your third, fourth, fifth. I mean, who knows? It's really a work in progress. We don't have the results. And then there's also the issue of, is it possible that this vaccine could do something deleterious to us down the road that we don't know about? Usually in vaccines, 
the vast majority of complications occur within one month to 45 days. We definitely have that information, so we know that. Like I said before, this mRNA approach has been used for years. So if the platform is bad, if the platform does something inside people's bodies at any kind of a large level, chances are we might have seen it with some of those other approaches, other diseases that they were working on. But, um, you know, it is a little bit of a gamble in the end. I mean, there's there's no guarantees here. Mm. Michelle, does does the news today change any sort of timeline for when you think the vast majority of Americans are, are going to have access to this vaccine? You got about forty five seconds. There's, this result won't won't change that at all because every American who is following what's going on wants this vaccine as quickly as they can possibly get it. This only makes that urgency faster. The the limitation is not on the desire it's on the availability Mm. all right i saved you 15 seconds thursday is the big meeting right absolutely Uh, you've gotten my take on this but more than a dozen of the world's most foremost experts on this are going to be meeting on thursday they're going to be digging much deeper looking for anything to be worried about and making a recommendation at the end of the day on whether or not we should all have access to this vaccine that's a huge day god i love love talking to you you are the best uh everything we need to know michelle cortez senior medical reporter at bloomberg news bloomberg news health science and medical technology reporter i should say joining us on the phone from minneapolis right like check 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 everything you needed to know yeah she read the 97 pages (laughs) that's why we go to her i'm driving in my car I turn on the radio. How about you let me drive? Oh, no, 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 no. Who's gonna drive you home? Honey, please, I'll do the driving. Drive home. Excuse me, I wanna drive. Just drive, baby. It's the question that drives us. This is the drive to the close. That funky music will drive us till the dawn. On Bloomberg Radio. It is time for the drive to the close. Carol Masser along with Tim Stenovec of Bloomberg Quick Take. And we are seeing, as Charlie mentioned, equity averages holding on to most of their gains a little bit higher here on the day. Want to get back to our guest or bring in our guest, Dan Pipitone. He's co-founder of Trade Zero America. He joins us on the phone from Brooklyn. Dan, good to have you here. How are you? Thanks, Carol. Doing awesome. Happy Friday to you guys. Awesome. Happy Friday. Yeah. Did you say happy Friday? Mentally, I'm there. (laughs) (laughs) Not even close. Um, Tell us about, you know, we want to get into what you're you're seeing in terms of on Trade Zero, but we had an earlier story about how the trading platform that we all are talking about this year, Robinhood, um, is seeing increased competition from the likes of Webull, which was founded by an Alibaba alum, and it's taking a lot of traders uh, from Robinhood. It is increased competition among the these no-fee platforms. What are you seeing in terms of interesting either growth or or trends among your users? Sure. Well, this year has been obviously an explosion of interest in, in just the markets in general uh, and what it is that we do. Uh, but for us, uh, we have seen a huge increase in the attention of uh, investors and traders wanting to play the markets what's on the huge? short side. Yeah, what's huge, uh, Dan? So our, our short numbers are up uh, close to 300%. Uh, year over year, uh, we are seeing, uh, you know, many of the new entrants and accounts that we're opening have interest in, in, in trading, not mm. just going long and hoping for the best, but act- mm. actually actively trading the markets uh, in an active way and taking advantage of the ability to go both long and short. 
Is this something that you think will be here for the long term or is this sort of like a, a pandemic boom and then people go you back know, to normal life and they kind of forget about it? It's going to be interesting to see, Tim. You know, for, for a lot of these new investors, we've they've really only been, you know, investing or participating in the market when it's gone up. Um, you know, since, yeah. since uh, the beginning of March, we've really been, you know, just in a general kind of straight line north. And it's going to be interesting to see, uh, you know, we would have thought that, the adults would have had some impact, uh, but we're thinking that, you know, just having the certainty in place, uh, even though that's not fully, fully established, um, that uh, the market has reacted well. So it's going to be really interesting to see uh, as, uh, you know, we navigate more potentially choppy uh, and potentially down markets, uh, you know, what this means for the new investor. If this is, you know, sell and stay away or if this is now something that, they're actively engaged in and continue to participate. As my grandpa always said, what goes up must come <laughs> down. And it, it happens right. eventually. Um, what are some interesting uh, stocks that you're seeing your users' uh, activity around? Sure. So lately, uh, the last few weeks, has been a lot of uh, intense action on all of the electronic vehicle stocks. Obviously, Tesla leading the way, but NIO, Chinese uh, EV maker, uh, really popping uh, both long and short, really active stocks. Uh, and, and one uh, in the last few weeks is ZR, uh, which these guys make the uh, LIDAR lasers mm. for uh, the oh, autonomous yeah. driving. The Luminar, right? Talk about maybe. Luminar Technologies. Luminar. Yeah. Uh, the stock's been on fire. But, but again, these stocks, you know, they, they, a lot of them have great news. will gap up in the morning. creates great trading opportunities for, uh, you know, investors throughout the day. It's up 302% this year, wow. right? And we've seen, I'm just going through, I mean, oh my God, it's just, it went through a period the last uh, week or so where you're talking about 30% gains, 36% higher on the day, 31% higher on the day. It's pretty remarkable. Um, and we had Tesla this morning, I think it hit the 680 bucks or, or way early at 4.30 in the morning in the pre-market. So right. the, this, this, this little sector has really been on fire lately. What's been the play on Tesla? Is it all long or is it a combination of long and short? <laughs> it, it is a combination of, of, of both. Uh, but generally, you know, for, for us, for the most part, our client base is mostly flat overnight, uh, where the decisions to start being made, at, you know, uh, from four o'clock in the morning on. Um, so the, the trading opportunities, they are both long and short. Uh, as an investment, Tesla has been, you know, we, for, for an overall basis, many clients as an investment have been long. But from the trading perspective, they are actively at it, you know, in both directions. Did you say 4 a.m.? Yes. So That's trading begins at trade zero, four o'clock in the morning. Uh, we carry through to eight p.m. Uh, so uh, it's commission free throughout, and uh, you know traders can take advantage of you know the Asian close, the Europe Europe still being open, right. on into uh, Asia reopening uh, at eight o'clock at night. Wow. Which is what somebody tweeted at me. We did a story on Webull versus Webull, excuse me, versus Robinhood. And they said Webull allows trading at 4 a.m. So lots of day traders, they said, were up that early. So it sounds like that's when a lot of people, uh, Dan, are kind of taking their positions. Is that fair? That's right. Yeah. Yep. And, 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 you know, playing off of the markets that are still open and those that are closing. So it's, it's a great way, especially for cross-listed stocks. Yeah. You really have an opportunity to kind of, uh, you know, basically see what, which direction the, the, the issue is trending and, and take advantage of that. Dan, what about cannabis stocks? Because we've seen a renewed interest in those since the election. Yes. Uh, you know, the thought process is, you know, we have Congress looking, looking to take on a marijuana, the Schedule One status. Uh, thought process is, you know, Biden administration is going to be a lot more uh, lax, uh, potentially the, the cannabis leaving Schedule One. Uh, we've seen a lot of activity uh, in the stocks. Tilray, uh, CGC has been on fire lately. Again, 
all of these issues played strongly on both the long and short side. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. I just want to mention um, a headline crossing the Bloomberg terminal. Uh, President-elect Joe Biden to nominate Lloyd Austin as Secretary of Defense. So uh, we're hearing a little bit more General Lloyd Austin, I believe it is, uh, recently retired general. Uh, so it looks like he may be um, the president-elect's choice for Secretary of Defense. We were expecting that, I think. Today. Yeah, the news broke last night that, oh, this, was, okay. that this was going to be his, his choice. And yeah. there are concerns over the waiver that he'll be required to get from Congress because it's traditionally a civilian position. And these folks have to be retired for a certain number of years before taking on that role. So concerns about mil- military right. influence. Exactly. Um, that's really interesting. So, interesting. Oh, yeah. So, well... I am curious. So, okay, cannabis was certainly an election trade here. Um, what else are you seeing, uh, Dan, in terms of trades? Just got about 40 seconds left here. Lots of COVID-related issues. You know, yeah. uh, you know, like I said, overnight, many, many, uh, uh, many symbols come out with, with, uh, with news, whether it be treatment-related, vaccine-related, or any of the supporting industries, refrigeration, transport, etc. So we're seeing a lot of activity in sort of that biotech, COVID-esque sector. Uh, some symbols uh, like uh, DRAD, uh, some uh, mobile medical in- imaging, SAVA, Casava Sciences, which has a, uh, a phase two trial going on, um, and um, and a few others. So there are many. Uh, CODX is another. There are many stocks every day coming out with COVID-related news that uh, you know investors that there is some real opportunity there. Yeah, DRAD small market cap, thirteen point four million. So uh, it's about a two dollar eighty one cent stock. So that's where yeah you can have some play, right? <laughs> and easily get involved. Yeah. But get ready potentially to have maybe a strong stomach too. Thanks so much for listening to Bloomberg Business Week. Download the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or at Bloomberg.com, and be sure to check out our daily radio show at 2 p.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio. And be sure to watch us too on YouTube by searching Bloomberg Global News.